Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to Homo Sapiens. I'm Chris Sweeney. And I'm Will Young. Chris Sweeney is a award-winning writer and director. Mm, have I won any awards? Will Young is an award-winning pop star and actor. And that's true because he's got Brits and everything. Yeah. Yeah. How did we meet? We met Not on the a, Tinder story. We met, <laughs> wasn't around then. Um, we met on a video. We didn't meet on a video, actually. Oh, no, we met at a party. We met at a party. We met at the Serpentine party. That Can I just say that was the same party that I was flirting with someone across the dance floor and then I realised it was me just in a mirror. <laughs> and I was saying to my friend, oh, oh, someone's checking me out and it was me. Homo sapiens, which means human in Latin. What it's about is looking at current affairs from an LGBT Q plus perspective. Over the course of this series, we will be talking to some fascinating people. We put a list together, starting with Obama. Um, <laughs> Ending with Michelle. Aim high. <laughs> Michelle from Destiny's Child. <laughs> it's sort of about role models in a weird way. So talking to people who can be role models for people out there. You know, everyone we've spoken to over the course of this thing, I'd love them to be a mentor to our listeners in some way. We hope you really like it and please subscribe and please rate and review us. We need your reviews, otherwise my dogs don't get fed. Coming up on today's episode, we'll be meeting the journalist, columnist, author and political commentator Owen Jones. He's the guy who's quite gobby on TV. You've already had the chance to spray your pathetic stream of bigotry over national well, television. so have you. People know him as the guy who walked out of a Sky News interview about the Orlando shooting. I've, I've had enough of this. Let me go home. Owen, oh, no genuinely. Way. I know you're upset. You are yeah, upset I am. and you're angry. Everybody knows who he is as this kind of hectoring guy, but I think we know him as someone different to that and we wanted to talk to him about him and his life. He's got a really good sense of humour. Also, his first love was a Christian fundamentalist. Could you know, I think my first love was a Christian... He wasn't a fundamentalist, but he was Christian. Really? Yeah, we're still great friends. Was he just called Christian? <laughs> Owen Jones is our guest later on Homo Sapiens. Sapiens. I'll set the scene. I'm in London's fashionable southwest. I feel a bit like Challenge Annika, actually. I'm on my way to Will's house. A couple of days after you and I discussed the idea of doing a podcast together, we were like, let's just do this. Let's see if he's in for a start. I came round to your house. We sat down at the kitchen table. 
Hello. <laughs> Do you need any J cloths? We didn't know what we were going to talk about. We just waited to see where it went. Oh, no, sorry. Are you it's public transport. Yeah, I'm recording. And I think this bit we're going to play you kind of embodies a lot of stuff and issues and ideas that we'd like to discuss more in this podcast. And shut up. <laughs> Three, two, one, and we're live. And so here is our very first podcast conversation. It's almost like a sort of a sketch for what we wanted it to be with a very gentle soundtrack of dogs barking in the background, which, of course, was all deliberate, I promise. I was thinking, I remember years ago, I'd probably left T4 or something like that and was off to a premiere. It was for a song All Time Love and they said, what do you feel about kissing a man on the lips in the video? I actually rang up my mum and dad and they were both like, yeah, fuck it, do it. But I... Oh my God, the dogs. But I didn't, I didn't do it. And I don't... What, because on the day you said, oh, I'm not going to do it? Uh, no, I just everyone agreed no. But actually, that was only because I was thinking of my career. Really? Yes, it's like, do the maths. How many people want to see a man kiss a man in comparison to how many people don't? Uh more people don't but now I slightly regret it because I think he was hot the guy (laughs) I find that fascinating yeah it's really it is so yeah it is fascinating why can't I had the same with um this let it go video I danced with a male mannequin and the record company you know they started saying things like trying to get round the fact that they couldn't say we shouldn't have this in the video because that would seem too homophobic So they said, I think one the marketing guy, won't name him, um, but I'll put it on Twitter. He said, oh, well, we, I just think it will be a reflection of the of a downward turn of Will's career. What? Like, yeah, because he just couldn't say... What, because of a mannequin? Basically, what he wanted to say was he'll lose records by Dancing with a Male Mannequin. And to be honest, I probably have done, mm. realistically, but I think gay artists maybe can be, you know, how it moves into music. You can't be so openly sexual. You know, if I'm... Robbie Williams, I can dance with loads of bikini-clad girls if I want to do that kind of thing. Mm. But did you find... I find that fascinating because I think that the risk with that is relatively low in terms of, am I going to kiss a boy? When you had an established career, you had done all the legwork, I feel. So, for example, for you to end Pop Idol and come out, that's like... That was enormous. You know what I was really conscious of? People claiming, taking me as a gay man Mm. and bringing it just back to sex. Oh, my God, I just remembered something else. Someone at the record company, to try and get me on the Brits, suggested, why don't you do a duet with George Michael and then like Britney and Madonna, (gasps) Christina and Aguilera and Madonna, and then you kiss at the end and we get our moment? No. The flip side of that. Wow. God, that makes me angry. It was a great night, that wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> God, that's a big night. Lily Tomlin said that they offered her a cover of Time magazine in the 80s, I think, if she would come out as a lesbian. And she said, my sexuality has got nothing to do with my career and mm. don't make this, you know, you're asking for this piece of me that has got nothing to do with what I do, which I think is fascinating. Yes. That... Now, you sort of have to say, because unless I'm wrong, when you did come out, there wasn't really anyone except for people like Julian Clary who were sort of being silly with the fact that they were gay. No, right? no, 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 no pop. Was George Michael out? He was outed, but through, he was outed rather than... And 
defined as a sexual deviant as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Kind of... And that, yeah, and the way they did that was disgusting. But what did you think was going to happen? Were you like, here we go, it could all end? I honestly didn't care because I remember thinking it was so hard. It took me a long time to come out. Well, yeah. long for me, I felt like a long time, 21. Gosh, seven years ago now. Um, <laughs> it feels like how time flies. And I just remember thinking, I've gone through that process. If people have a problem, then I don't want them listening to my music anyway. Really? You know, it really wasn't a difficult decision to make. Wow. In fact, they had to stop me during the show doing it. Really? Yeah, because people were being asked... Because sex is so tied in to pop and mm. it's so tied in to people who are, I guess, I don't know if it's the right word, but heteronormative pop. I don't know if that's the right phrase or, you know, mm. if you're a woman, you're in a bikini. If you're a man, you've got all the birds, you know. Mm. And I think um, there was a time when we had a comp- press conference, week four or five, and everyone was being asked, who would you like to go on a date with and it was like a defining moment because I'm going to mm. sit there I'm out to all my friends and everything mm. and I'm going to sit there and say what it's not like now you know now it'd be fine mm. and so I said just get round it I said well I'd like to have tea with the queen <laughs> just so many levels and it everyone laughed and it kind of got you know away mm. from the sort of topic that's interesting. And they told you not to say anything? No, they didn't. Later on, they did. Right. And actually, I agreed because I didn't want it to overshadow what everyone and I had done on the show. And it was the, week, the final week, you know. I was like, I don't want it to become, you know, whatever. It was fairly obvious when I was seeing Aretha Franklin in a tank top. Still closes every show. <laughs> <laughs> tank top. Go now. Yeah. God, it's tight. Have you shrunk it? This is... Who boil washed this? <laughs> Somebody. I, we, we're meeting after the show. It's Thanks, guys. It's way up my tummy. This one's for... <laughs> been there since the beginning. R-E-S-B-H. <laughs> You make me feel... <laughs> Sing it! I can't remember what I was saying now. Yeah, no, uh, it wasn't hard when it, when it happened, but I certainly felt completely desexualized, And I think that was healthy in lots of ways because it, it was like, you can be gay and just be a normal person. And anyway, I wouldn't really talk about my private life. Mm. But on the other hand, I think it just made me like the Ken doll you can take home to your mum. You know, no one ever yeah. wants to think about a gay man shoving his willy up another man's bum or no. having a willy up their bum. They just mm. don't. No. They don't want any reference to it because that's what comes up with, with I think, we certainly did before I came out, was like, I wonder, you know, gosh, are you taking, are you receiving? Or, you know, with women, you know, no one else wants to think of a woman going down on a woman, mm. you know, because a man, a straight man will feel disempowered. and yeah. There's that thing when you come out as well, it's like, oh, I'm out, but I'm a top, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, so I've said a man. Yeah, yeah, no, I do, I mean, I'm totally doing them, it's not really, I'm not, like, properly gay. Yeah. And that's the thing... I Get would... over it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to talk about through this show, basically. What sex means for gay people. And the flip side is, I guess, what it means for straight people. Because I think there is such a history, just as the Victorians had their history with repressed sex, you know. Mm. Tables weren't even allowed to show legs, let alone women. Sex started, has always started from a place of secrecy with gay men mm. and gay yeah. women. So it just turns a different 
um, just gives a different slant to it, I think. So it always really interests me what people think about, for example, open relationships, because it is, for whatever reason, a gay thing. I think it is a gay thing, but I, and I think that could have largely come from the fact that people just didn't think about marriage. You know, so it was like, where do we go? We get the dogs. And that's it. You know what I mean? So, so maybe they... Flat in Marlborough. <laughs> Flat in Marlborough. You know, walk down to, you know, Fresh and Wild in some sort of Dolce & Gabbana outfit. Um, matching. Matching with dog. But I think, I think there has been a big change in perhaps fidelity, and I certainly know some friends that when they got married, you know, they definitely stopped their sort of notion of what an open relationship was. And... I think they probably stopped it because it probably wasn't making them that happy, actually, you know. Mm. And I, so I, I, think, I think that fidelity and monogamy, 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 monogamy. monogamy. Isn't that, isn't that <laughs> Scottish New Year? Monogamy. <laughs> Is it monogamy? Monogamy. 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 I love that you can't even say the word. Menomina. Yeah, this um, monomina. <laughs> this monomina you see. Yes, you seem to be speaking of. I can spell open relationships. Yeah. I think people want it more because I think a lot of it can be unhealthy. I mean, I know people who, you know, straight couples and gay couples who have an open relationship and uh, I think it works for them. I'm Miss Jean Brodie, basically. So I'm like... If you're not having a monogamous relationship, you're not facing up to something within yourself, one. And two, you're hurting people yeah, under right. the guise of like, oh, fuck it, don't we just chill out. And I've seen that in people who've been, in people I know who've been talking about their open relationships. And one of them is up for it. And one of them is not, Yeah, you know? And I think that it's a bit like you're made to feel like you should... It sort of comes with the territory, so you have to. And I think yeah. that's difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like, oh, yeah, one might be like, oh, well, yes, I suppose it's fine because we're far more free about sex and this is what happens when you're gay. And... Yeah. Those dogs don't... <laughs> Nelly, come on, come here. That was Will and I and a sizable plate of biscuits making our first foray into the world of podcasting. And you're listening to episode one of Homo Sapiens. Owen Jones coming up, but first, let's do some interactivity because it's not a podcast unless it's interactive, right? I'm thinking a fun thing to do is to ask questions on my Twitter and we will discuss the responses as they come in. It's a bit of an experiment. We're going to log into Will's Twitter. I've got the password. Oh, um, so expect some DMs to be flying around for the rest of the day. Log in. <laughs> Are you logging Ooh. in? Are you actually yeah, logged, logged in? in. Do, do you want Google Chrome to save your password for this site? Yes. I'm in the mainframe. And because we're at the beginning, let's ask our followers if we could interview anyone, who should it be? Yeah, let's put it out there. Someone's retweeted it. That's no use. No. Two likes. Oh, two likes. Come That's on. no use. Come on, people. Let's get interactive. Harambe from HR says Beyonce. I... I'd like to interview Rihanna. There's no filter with her. Although I would just like to touch Beyonce. Chris Long says David Attenborough. I'd love to do him. No one talks about gay animals. And there are loads of gay animals. Isn't it dolphins have same-sex relationships? There's ah. been instances of gay monkeys. Well, let's look it up. Gay animals. BBC Earth, are there any homosexual animals? Bears, otters and donkeys. Yeah, but that's just, that's just those are gay off. tribes. 
That's just Fox on a Saturday night. Giraffes are gay, penguins are gay, lions are gay, it says here. Samuel says, I think an interview with Sir Elton John would be insightful. Did I tell you my Elton John story? No. <laughs> so he was having his white tie party. Yeah. And uh, I got the invitation. And I was like, I'm sure it's the white tie. And it came from my management and it said Raj or something like that. Indian royalty. Mm. I was like, are you sure it's not white tie? Because it's always white tie. No, theme is, have I not told you this? Indian royalty. So I was like, <laughs> okay. And so I went off to that big Angels in Hendon, the big film, like, oh, you know, yeah. costume place. And I got not one outfit, but two outfits. So massive, like Indian Raj. Pre and post dinner. <clears throat> What's that? Pre and post dinner, right? Yeah, of course. Mm. And then, <laughs> and then... I was like, I had everything like turban, massive, like proper. It was really expensive, like heavy, heavy, amazing costume jewelry. And then luckily got tonsillitis, so couldn't go. But then opened the paper the next day and it was Elton John's white tie party. And literally um, there was no one in fancy dress. It was just the food was oh Indian food. <clears throat> and I was like, imagine, because I would have had to go all the way down to Windsor. I probably would have come in in the car and been like, mm, they're a bit boring, they're not dressing up. Probably made it to the red carpet yeah. and then realised, oh, fuck. That's <laughs> me. Yes. Yeah. So we're en route uh, in my car. Next up on Homo Sapiens is an interview with Owen Jones. We're heading to North London, although poor Owen shouldn't actually reveal where he lives because nuts far-right people keep publishing his address online and getting people to go around and throw things at his front door. Are you joking? Yeah. What I like to do when we go to visit someone, I like to take some sugar-based snacks. Because for me, that gets the best out of it. Come on, hurry up. It's a nice not way. Not you, sorry, the, the van. <laughs> not often I'm asked to talk quicker, I've got to say. Owen Jones, known for being on TV, walking out of Sky News. Here we are. Oh. Here we go. And he's got this kind of reputation for being really hectoring, and we really wanted to show a different side of him. Hi. I'm here. Chocolate? Oh, do you know what? I'd love chocolate. And I think we really got that. He told us all kinds of things about, you know... Stealing things. He's a thief. I did it on the train the other day. I put all this stuff up, put it on the table and then put it back in. And I took the person opposite's headphones, put them in my bag. And he went, have you just taken my headphones? And I was like, no, I didn't mean to. But he it still had the air of... He thought I'd stolen his headphones. That's really But I had to have stolen his headphones. You had. And he's got a cat. Which he probably stole. So, here's our chat with Owen Jones. Do you see yourself as a journalist? Do you see yourself as a commentator, an author, all the above? Well, I didn't want to be... I don't like writing. I find it really tedious. I mean, it's really just mm. turned up when I was finishing my weekly column. And I hate writing so much. I hate the solitude. I find it self-indulgent. I've got a terrible concentration span. That was... That's my cat there. Excuse me, I think <laughs> <laughs> Right there, kid. Could you? Hey, get some to... Gaveston, Chris. 
trying to be professional. Yeah. It's like Gerald Durrell. Each podcast has a different <laughs> <laughs> animal. <laughs> I like how he's sort of staring at me with contempt as I continue. For me, because I, I, I see writing as a means to an end, which is to raise issues, causes, beliefs, people who otherwise ignored. You know, it's not exactly Jane Austen, my prose, I'll be honest with you. So what I try to do is think, how is this helpful, whether it be, I don't know, disabled people having their benefits cut, for example. Today I was writing about drug abuse and alcohol abuse amongst gay men. Uh, there's actually barely any gay columnists in Britain in national newspapers, which is a kind of bit bizarre. So I think me and Matthew Paris. I don't, I don't want to write for the hell of it. Some people write stuff to kind of cause a response and provoke people for the hell of it. And mm. in a way, I'm doing the opposite, because I know I have views which are outside the normal political consensus, and I'm trying to make them more accessible. I'm trying to get particularly young people to engage with the problems that, that our society has. Um, and that's why I do YouTube videos a lot. Mm-hmm. I enjoy doing those more, for example, my videos than writing, because videos are more fun and accessible. Also, minimal work for me. Uh, the producer has to spend hours staring at my face for several hours, which I won't wish on my worst enemy. But I'm just, everything I do is about that. How do I reach people? How do I make these things accessible? But I don't do it because I enjoy it. For our listeners. Hi. So you went to... Um, Oxford. Oxford. Yeah. And you studied... History. I went from a comp in Stockport, got into Oxford, and that, you know, I went to the biggest sixth form in the country, and that was seen as a big deal. I found Oxford a very strange place, to say the least. Um, it was a completely different culture from Stockport. Mm. When you go to Oxford, if I think you're from a state school background, there's that kind of uh, imposter syndrome thing that someone's going to tap you on your shoulder and go, I'm terribly sorry, this has been an awful mistake. You don't mm. actually belong here. Yeah. Everyone else seemed to know what they're doing. They were, you know, comfortable with the setting and, you know, these grand buildings. You know, I mean, if you mm. look at Richard Daniels 6 from College Rhyme Fire, it was like some, you know, mm. 1980s kind of concrete. And then all of a sudden these grand colleges and, and they'd all, a lot of them gone to schools which looked a bit like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, things like wearing gowns for exams and stuff. And if you weren't wearing the right shoes, then you were sent away. You know, it was just bewildering, but it was incredibly exciting. And some of the people there were, were very obnoxious, but a lot of them weren't obnoxious, you know. It was people from very, you know, privileged backgrounds who weren't cardboard cutouts or stereotypes at all. And mm. it was like going into a different universe, there's no question about that. But the thing is, the reason I applied for... Oh, no, here's the thing. The reason I applied for that college... Uh, was because I was in love with my best friend, who was a Christian fundamentalist. Mm. Um, you do, I do pick him. Set yourself a challenge. <laughs> uh, turn him and burn him. No, um, I think... Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm joking. Um, I think the... Um, no, so basically what happened was... But I didn't come out as gay. I didn't come out until I was in my third year. So what happened was we went there and, and then ended up... We were roommates in second year. Obviously, even though I was in love with him, but that was the only reason I applied for that college. Uh, so yeah, basically, I remember looking over to see the notes of where he'd applied, and if that split second, if it wasn't for that split second of being able to see it on that paper, my life would be completely different. I might have got rejected from another college. Mm. I wouldn't have met all the people I know. Maybe I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. It's really weird, isn't it? These very small things. So the only reason I ended up doing what it did is because I was in love with someone. I managed to glance over to see which college he was at. Why did you wait till your third year to come out? Hmm, sort of scenic route, didn't I? Hmm. Um, well, I... I took pretty much the same... It's weird, isn't it? Second year. You came out the second year. Why did you come out? Because I meant to come out first year, and then it was halfway through, and I was like, oh, I can't do it halfway through. I'll no, that's true. the summer, and then, you know what I mean? And then you've got a bit of time away, and then... You need a strategic coming out time. No, sorry, I meant to come out before I went to uni, that was it. And then oh. I got there, and I was like, oh... Because mm-hmm. that's good, because then it's clean break. Exactly. Start, then you start as a gay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Rather than go, oh, now I've got to kind of like 
update everybody based I, on. Yeah, but I went with a friend, and she knew. So I had to tell her, and then I never got around to telling her. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with coming out. You don't just come out once; you have to come out all the fucking time. And it's mm. uh, tedious. No, I mean, I just didn't want to be gay. <laughs> Yeah. That's just the brutal truth of it. And I convinced myself I was bisexual. Mm. Bye now, gay later. It's terrible for genuine bisexuals, that. People like me are problems. But um, I started going out with a girl at the beginning of first year. I went out with her for over a year. It's fine now. She's, uh, she's married to a better-looking Italian who's heterosexual, whatever. I went out with her for over a year, and... Um, and then I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to do it. Mm. And I stopped. the reason I came out was because I met this guy who was captain of his rowing team. Then when I started going out with him, there was a kind of logical, might as well come out now, I suppose. Uh, and that's what I did. I remember doing it at someone's birthday and she was recovering from viral meningitis. And she was well annoyed. She was like, you've literally stolen uh, the attention from my birthday party when I was suffering from horrible disease. But people then, they were like, I, I, some, I remember like some girl that was friends with said, oh, that's great, Owen, now we can go shopping. I hate shopping. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, why do I want to go shopping? Because I'm gay. Uh, but anyway, so th- th- that was it. And it was weird, because obviously coming out... Because I had a girlfriend for ages, so mm. it was a weird... Ugh. To bring you back on something I felt you skimmed over and... Never. We've all missed it, I think. <laughs> so your first boyfriend was captain of the rowing... Of his college. He's captain of his, his so college. So there are people like that who exist. They do exist. Yes. They Gosh, do that exist. That brings hope, doesn't it? But How was the reaction... When you came out. And no one was like, you disgusting faggot. Mm. Uh, that would have been annoying. But you get levels, only it's of people being quite patronising, asking kind of mm. bizarre questions as though you suddenly metamorphosized into some bizarre alien. Do you really fancy men? Why do you... And then the stuff like, because everyone uses the word gay and stuff, going, oh, that's so gay. But I remember people doing that again. No, not in front of Owen, not in front of Owen. <laughs> Not in front of You're the left. But I still, all my friends were pretty much straight men. I mean, the vast majority were, and everyone was obviously fine. Yeah. You know, coming out is it's one of these things, isn't it? You, as I said, you don't just come out once. You have to keep coming out. You come out to your friends, your family, workplace, new people you meet, um, and all the rest of it. Mm. For most people, anyway, um, unless they're publicly defined in the in the in the public eye as being a gay, so it is stressful. But I didn't get rejection; just people struggle to know how to to respond if they've never had a gay friend before, and some of them found it like a weird eccentricity. My first boyfriend had a mortifying time. He came out at the age of fifteen, and his Christian evangelical mother sent him to a pseudo clinic to be cured of his. Uh, homosexuality so I always put puts that in perspective mm. but I think people are self- think about themselves it's that selfishness there's like mm. keeping up with the Joneses how's this affecting me mm. and it people has life long rarely think of the person themselves unless they then move on to just mm. their complete bigoted views and that's a different yeah like but you're right it was partly that brick wall hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing I love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I mean, because with me, I remember I was 24, mm. left it quite late, and it was Christmas Eve. <laughs> My twin sister, was, I said to her, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to tell them. We went to the pub, uh, me, my twin sister, my parents, and she was like, tell them, tell them, tell them. And mum was like, you don't have to say anything. And then I said, there's someone I want you to meet. He's called his name, which I won't say. And then she malfunctioned. She went, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. And she couldn't stop saying it. And then I panicked. I was like, how do I get out of this loop? Uh, so, then, so then I said, and I went, I just went, um, and he went to a major public school and both my parents went oh no and kind of looked down half in jest but half in genuine horror (laughs) and then looked up how did you come out? oh I relied purely on dance uh, it's (laughs) the medium of contemporary dance Uh, (laughs) I relied on it spreading like wildfire it did I remember the time Uh, no but before then before, oh, then, before I then. just relied on. Were you out yeah. from the beginning at on uni, TV? I did it at uni. So on TV, yeah. you were out as a. I was out, but no one ever asked. Yeah, and that's the, that's the other thing about uni, because it just spread. So it was great. People, t- I told a friend in London, and then he told my brother, my brother. So it was it was easy for me. It was harder because there were less people to kind. Of, I mean, even for my parents, who were very liberal. You know, they still had AIDS in their head. I know, I you know. know. I know a friend of mine whose mother said the first thing she said to him was, you're going to die alone, you know. Lovely. And the first <laughs> thing my mum said was, you're going to get beaten up. Oh, yeah. And that was, that was their experience, mm. even though they didn't have a problem with it. It was selfish worry. Mm. Yeah. I like to think, I'm interested in your opinion, if it's better now. I mean, I don't even say there are two openly gay journalists writing that's it it's, it's a lot better now than certainly when I was a teenager just it, obviously if you think about it I mean I still find this astonishing because I'm 32 when I was at school there was still section 28 which prohibited the so-called promotion of homosexuality in school so you couldn't I had no education mm. as none of us did about LGBT issues at all the age of consent was different no right to equal partnerships let alone marriage you could still discriminate in the provision of goods and services so you could turn people away from a bread and breakfast legally refused to provide someone with service because of their sexuality. I mean, you can adopt. It's astonishing. And the attitudes as well were completely different. If you look at all the polling at the time, you know, the British Social Attitude Survey examined this, and it was like most people thought it was wrong in society, even in the 90s. I did one of these programmes once, you know, the back-in-the-90s programmes mm. where you get talking heads to... Always wanted to be one of them. And it was, it was genuinely my one aspiration in life. Anyway, but they got me to watch Panorama from 1997 about the gay agenda and it was literally talking about the gay agenda really? and it had people someone being interviewed and this was on BBC One interviewed someone in a working men's club going if my son was a rapist or a murderer I'd forgive him but not if they were gay I thought wow astonishing so there has been a huge change but obviously so far to go because we live in a society I've never hold hands in the street in most places mm. with a partner I wouldn't uh, you know mental distress is much higher much higher amongst LGBT people. Gay is a term of abuse within the playground. And the way I look at it, growing up, and I hear what you think about this, because I think it's actually to do with gender in the sense that it's, it's gender policing. Mm. So when you grow up, you, you have this expectation of what it is to be a man and how men should behave. Mm. 
And that way should be being... Chris's stomach again. Yeah. <laughs> Kizzy, we are trying to have a serious conversation here. Hey, hey, and hey, oh, he loves drinking. He'll put his paw in it and drink it. He does. Um, so gender policing it at school, where, so if you, you've got to abide by a certain stereotype of being a man. Getting into fights, living at women, being sporty. If you don't abide by that, then people go, ah, stop being such a gay or a faggot or stop being such a woman. And the majority of homophobic abuse, controversial to say, is directed at straight men almost all men at some point have been homophobically abused. And that's what it's about. It's about gender. It's about telling you how you should, you know, what sort of man you should be. And that's why, actually, it's so bad for straight men because the biggest killer of men under 50 is suicide. That's because often men, when they get problems, they can't speak about them because it's seen as unmanly. It's like being gay or a woman. So I found that really interesting. That homophobia is all to do with that. It's all to do with gender. It's to do with what it is to be a man. Do you feel that it's something that's being addressed well in schools? No. Well, it's better than it was. I think Stonewall and the like have actually pushed quite a lot in terms of education and changing it. But it's still a very long way to go because you know, homophobic bullying is pandemic in school playgrounds. And the reason it's so important to get it when it's early is because the damage is often done at that age. Thinking about my, my first boyfriend again, now he's a recovering meth addict. And he would link that, I think, to the experiences he had when he was younger, including coming out at the age of 15, inevitably, particularly back then, in the early noughties, getting homophobic bullying as a consequence, not having any role models to look up to in society that were accessible at the time when this was late 90s, I suppose. Obviously, the experience with his family, his parents, being told all the time by society that this is what you're expected to be, and if you're not like this, then you're kind of bad luck <laughs> you got like sixth best there and all of that causes damage and now I look at you know when you look at drug abuse and alcohol abuse amongst LGBT people it's much higher than the rest of the population and I think people are dying as a consequence of it you've got to address it when it's young when people are young and I hate when we talk about this I always worry a bit and I wrote this I wrote this column about it as well but I worry that being gay that whole point of oh your life will be miserable and lonely and then the danger is when I start talking about it it's like see they're right and it isn't true coming out is you know it's like coming up for air for the vast majority of people it's infinitely better than the alternative and you get lots of support and you find people you love and you're just much much happier so it's about balancing that isn't it with mm. actually as well there are really big problems we still have to address and it's about getting that balance right because I hate the idea of people who are 14, 15 and then they hear some whinging kind of early 30s gay going oh it's so hard and then they're like well I don't want to come out now do I yeah. so it's about getting it right but yeah. but when you said earlier before we started that having a chockey <laughs> mm. um, what that drink and drug abuse is the biggest problem facing gay men since HIV yeah yeah totally I mean HIV is still an issue because you know it's not a death sentence anymore people with HIV can expect to live with treatment normal life expectancies but mm. The treatment often has bad health consequences. Mm. Uh, basically, just don't should avoid getting HIV and have mm. safer sex. And also, there's still about six and a half thousand men that, who have sex with men they think aren't diagnosed. And if you're not diagnosed, obviously, yeah. you're putting your life at risk. So obviously, it's a, that's still an issue. But in the 80s, our people were being wiped out. You know, mm. people were just seeing their friends dying one by one, their partners. It was absolute horrendous and we should never forget that and the way we were, we were stigmatised and attacked and demonised by the press 
You know, the likes of Kelvin McKenzie, the editor of the Sun, who has no place in public life. It's not just the Hillsborough stuff and what he did there, but he used to just demonise councils, Labour councils, mm. it was loony left, who were trying to help gay people who his newspaper portrayed as deviants. And mm. that obviously caused massive damage. But today the issue is, above all else, HIV is one issue, but it's it's depression, anxiety, mm. and what's completely linked to that is, is drug use mm. and alcohol abuse. So one study suggests that in the last month, LGBT people are seven times more likely to have taken a drug and they're over twice as likely to binge drink and far more likely to be dependent on a substance. Now, I think that's to do with self-medicating. It's people who feel anxious and depressed, partly because of a society that has damaged them from day one. And, you know, that damage has to be overcome. And this is at a time when we're cutting back mental health services, when LGBT charities have been cut back in their funding and all the rest. So it's the worst of both because, you know, you've got people, I think a growing problem actually in the LGBT world in terms of drug abuse and alcohol abuse, uh, but we don't have the resources to deal with it. Is shame the sort of compost that allows all anxiety and depression and then addiction and ways of self-medicating, is, is shame the compost that's sort of the root yeah, it all, comes down to, all comes down to that. You grow up in a society that is telling you, basically, that you should be heterosexual, mm. slash or cisgendered as well. You stay in your assigned sex of which you were born into. It's where you hear in the playground growing up people using what you are as the ultimate derogatory insult. And even just little subtle things. You know, stuff like being in the hairdresser and someone going, uh, asking about your girlfriend, you don't bother to correct them because you can't be bothered coming out. Mm. Or... Someone's saying that awful patronising thing you get, oh, I never would have guessed you were gay, and feeling flattered almost, as if, you know, your leprosy isn't publicly obvious. Or or the look on one of your straight friend's face when someone says, oh, I thought you were gay. And it's kind of like, you know, why, and they, they feel almost insulted. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not one of them, even though they would say they're completely pro-LGBT uh, rights. I mean, these are all kind of, you know, symptoms, unfortunately, of the fact that shame is internalised in all LGBT people by a society that still does not treat us as equal people. And society has to sort itself out. That's what LGBT people have fought for at great cost and great sacrifice. All the rights and freedoms we have were won because of people who were demonised as puffs and perverts and deviants. The first gay demonstration in London, the early 70s, only the early 70s, more police officers than the protesters. And these were people who were hated throughout all our time People like Alan Turing, who helped defeat the Nazis, who was sterilised and driven to suicide, prosecuted for who he was. You know, mm. heroes. All these people, they're the giants on whose shoulders we stand. And we've come so far that we've still got a long way to go because still society is not treating us as equal. And you get people go, oh, you know, you've got all your rights now, and you've got all your law. You know, the laws have changed. What's your problem? And because of their failure to address a society in which their parts rejection still of us as equals, whatever the law now rightly says, as though that was some sort of gift equality, that you know, we should expect to be treated by equals. That's not some sort of act of beneficence by them. But whatever, they need to keep changing with us, society, until we're treated totally as equals. And it's just not good enough for teenagers to grow up lying awake at night full of despair and anguish because of who they happen to be. And Russell T. Davies was saying that you know, you will need to have someone come out in a soap every six years. Like, it's not... It will never be done. Well, exactly. You know, he's just a lifeboat, that guy. I remember when Queer as Folk 
came out. Oh, what was it? Was it like, was it 98 or 99? 99, yeah. 99, I had to sneak watching it, obviously. It was the first time, other than This Life, This Life mm. was on in 96, and that was a brilliant TV series, a drama series, set in London, and it had, you know, gay men and gay sex in it. But Queer of a Stripe was something entirely different. It was the first, like, mainstream gay drama, mm. and... And, and that, if you're growing up and, you know, f- surrounded still by rejection and all the rest of it, that programme was an absolute revelation. I remember that. So he is an absolute hero. But it's true, you know, the problem on TV as well is if you're gay, it's a storyline, mm. you know, and, and it, it's like, <laughs> you know, it is normally involving, you know, I the HIV as well or something. Often very one-dimensional cardboard cutouts not reflecting the diversity of LGBT people. Mm. Sometimes you use the same way in the past, it's improved. But you know those the black and white minstrel shows of the 50s? Yes. Where he, and it's a bit like that, kind of, you know, regarded as these clowns for the entertainment of straight people. Yeah. But then again, the danger is, because I wrote this column ages ago about Alan Carr and internalised homophobia amongst gay men, because he dressed mm. up as a fairy for an advert, and loads of gay men were like, ah, oh, ah, this is just inviting homophobia, as though... You know, kind of the victims that suddenly bring it in themselves. And Alan Carr is just camp. I mean, that's just who he is. And gay men often, I think, there's a camperphobia or something along those lines because mm. it's almost like, no, 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 we need to fit in and assimilate as much as possible and you're making it hard for us. The straights aren't going to accept us unless you behave properly. And, and oh, no, you are now a public ambassador for the entire... It's like, mm. no, he's just being himself. There's a huge appetite for you... I like to see people who are out there taking on the establishment, taking on an establishment. So you walking out... Um, on Sky News. Yeah. You're taking a stand. Literally taking a stand. Literally. literally. Yeah. You know, um, thank God you didn't trip up. Uh, I know. Yeah. Someone said... Oh, it's the uh, mic pack. People worried about... <laughs> I was really worried about... Yeah, about disentangling myself. I mean... What we're talking about is the time you walked out with Sky News. Yes, after the Orlando uh, horror. Yeah, I mean, it's the most impulsive thing I've done in my entire life. It was just... I mean, I was quite obviously quite upset when I turned up. I didn't actually want to turn I didn't want to go. Uh, I kind of got forced to do it. And I don't know what just focusing on the presenter. Every time I said an attack on LGBT people, it's like an attack on all people. It's like, why are you doing this? Mm. And if it had been an attack on a synagogue and I was a Jewish writer and then I said, this is an attack on Jews and then the presenter said, no, this is an attack on all people, mm. I think it would have been quite obvious to everyone. I mean, what was weird about that, because when I walked off and it was... The one thing I didn't want to be then is the story, because it was about Orlando. The whole point was about the... Vic- that was the whole point of walking off. So I refused to do any media, basically, about it. But it was incredible because it was. I was like, what I found is, of anything I've done, that's the most approval I got for people on the right. So really? lots of right wing journalists. Really? Yeah, I, I never yeah. thought I'd be the sort of person. But I genuinely, the last person to walk off a TV set. What did it feel like? Um, what happened was, I was sitting there. And I was kind of lost in thought, and I just cut them both out at one point. You can just see me just sitting there. There was this voice in my head, and because I imagine now I was supposed to then cheerfully talk about all the news topics and issues, mm. and a voice was just like, you know you can't stay here, don't you? It was literally like, you know you, you, know you can't sit through any of this anymore. Mm. And I just went, nah, walked off. <laughs> I have such a big respect for anyone who goes out there... Your job is beliefs. You've got to go out there and piss people off. <laughs> Not on purpose. But it's inevitable. It's just a nasty, I mean, necessary evil. If you've got strong political opinions, then it's impossible not to piss people off. But how do you deal with that amount of shit that comes your way? Um, hmm. Um, the great thing about social media is democratise things a lot. 
you know, before you'd just be some poncy columnist who just rattles off some column and throws it into the ether and, mm. you know, you'll get you know, the, the letters page. Now, blimey, everything I write is scrutinised in the most intense way imaginable. Mm. And it is kind of, I think, the problem is, is a lot of people on social media would never behave in real life like that mm. at all. Uh, if I know that. I mean, I know that from... I feel sorry for him, actually. It's in the news, so I might as well mention it. He... Um, he was the head of government relations for the mayor of London. He was mm. appointed by Boris Johnson and kept on under the Sadiq Khan. And uh. he had this fake account. And he oh, went no. around abusing members of parliament. Oh, no. It's his job to liaise with them. And me. Wow. And, and other people. And he got sacked. And I feel really bad because his life, you know, must be an absolute state because of it. But it, I was always interested, like, what is the psychology of anonymous mm. accounts who just just throw out abuse and mm. it used to be the case where you could go through months or years or like for your whole life never getting abused by a single stranger mm. but now that is kind of de- a daily thing if mm. you're a writer and you have strong political convictions and it varies I mean some of it is just bitter criticism yeah. and you should always distinguish between criticism which you need <laughs> and then people are just being horrible so kind of really kind of vicious criticism but then kind of just hatred yeah. I get you know threats of violence and death yeah. So I held up, never hold up a whiteboard on the internet. Hold up a whiteboard? A whiteboard. I held up this whiteboard, it said, I want to stay in the European Union because, and I had to write in my reason, oh. and I wrote in, you can see where this is going, and I said, because I want to build a democratic Europe, running the interests of workers or something. And the, these far-right activists, they altered it on Photoshop to say, because I want to deprive Britain of its independence as punishment for colonialism. <laughs> and that went viral, Britain first, Pedigo, all the rest. They shared it on their Facebook pages. Mm. And it was inundated by people going, I want to shoot him in the head, I want to slash his throat, mm. I want to hang him by his testicles and inscribe a traitor in his chest, this kind of thing. And then, you know, people found my dress and stuff and someone went on Street View with an arrow saying, here's his window, here's the door he comes out of, this kind of thing. Yeah, so that's a bit kind of... And some of it now increasingly, I think, homophobic. It didn't used to be the case. Really? I think often people think I was gay, it's probably that. Because I haven't often written enough about gay stuff. <laughs> the thing is, the vast majority of people are, are just really nice and fine and pleasant, mm. uh, even if they disagree with you. It's a tiny, tiny minority. But if you go through a day where everyone's been nice to you from friends, mm. and, like, it's going well, and some random person comes up to you in the street and goes, go fuck yourself... That's the one thing you remember, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's like that on the internet. So the problem is the stuff that obviously gets under your skin is often the stuff that has an impact on you and, you know, it's just wearing. The worry is, of course, some of these people do... I think after the murder of Joe Cox, you kind of think sometimes when people are talking about violence on, online, mm. maybe sometimes they will actually do mean it. But in practice... But it's worse for women, by the way. Women get it worse. Women, really? there's a certain type of men who hate women with an opinion. Hate them. Mm. Like, who does this bitch think she is speaking to me? Mm. I'm a man, she's a woman. They hate them having opinions, whether they're right wing or left wing. You know, I know women who don't go on television because they think I'll get bombarded with tweets afterwards, basically talking about my physical appearance. Wow. And what that does, it's an attempt to drive women out of public life, and it has some success. Really? Totally, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. I mean, do you worry walking down the street? No, I mean, this is what's so bizarre. I've never actually been randomly abused. in. Right. Pra- and I found this really odd that I've only ever had people coming up just being really nice. You know, I've never had a single person, a stranger walking down the street, just come up to me and go, rah, rah, rah. Never happened. Mm. And that's odd because there must be people, given, you know, there were people online going, that fucking lefty bastard, that mm. kind of thing. There must be people walking past me thinking that, but they never mm. actually act on it. I'll get some people go, you know, they'll buy me a pint and go, you know, I don't always agree with you or something. Mm. But people going, 
you lefty bastard never happens never 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 and you know we talked a bit about it all being a bit of a haphazard you know you didn't plan any of this no but what do you think you'll do next well that's the thing because I genuinely didn't plan what I do, mm. do now so I, I don't I just don't know I mean I'd love to do like fiction I've got this sort of obsession with doing like a TV series really yeah about partly to make sense of it do you ever watch Our Friends in the North yeah and in, in, in Our Friends in the North, every single episode is a different year. It starts in 1964, ends in 1995. Mm. And it looks at everything that happens in Britain in that time, but through the eyes of the characters. It's mm. character-driven. It's not like, mm. I don't know, 1968, you know, Martin Luther King gets assassinated. It's all character-driven. Mm. But I'd love to do something like that. Writing it or producing it? Or... I don't know, writing it. I mean, I did pitch it to a TV company and mm. they really liked the idea. So what I need to do, I just don't have time, no time mm. to come up with a spec script and a, and a spec outline. Mm. I'd love to do stuff like that. I mean, I like doing my videos. Mm. Yeah, that, that's the thing I enjoy most. Because it's quick. Well, I think it's just a better way of connecting with people. I mean, mm. writing often, it's kind of... Like, when I read my columns, it's like, I don't chat like that in real life. I mean, I would be even more unbearable than I am now. So, I, I mean, you know, with videos, I can just be myself, be a bit more mm. jokey, a bit more light-hearted about things. It's just a bit more... My cat is a big star. Mm. My cat is such a star, I'm not even joking. I'll give you an example. <laughs> Wait a minute. So, I do these talks. I did a, I did, I did a talk, uh, yes, at the British Humanist Association. Oh, yeah. And a woman came up to me and went, uh, this is for Kia. Oh. And it's literally... It's got here, it's got... There we go. Uh, it's got liver for my cat. Uh, it's got, honestly, there's loads of stuff. Little uh, treats. Loads of treats for it. This is pate for cat. Wow. Whiskers. I mean, it's, it's my... So everyone loves my cat. Well, He's a, that's the fourth time that's, that's happened. That's something that needs building on. It's the fourth time it's happened. So people, my cat is a big star on my video, Kia. So if anything, if I'm building up Kia's career, then... The price is right. <laughs> Kia the cat is now snuggled up. He's been running around making a right little palaver. He's now all snuggled well, up. That's just a break before uh, the next public engagement. Though. Yeah, probably. He's Opening gonna... the Islington test. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> he's going to start cutting ribbons at supermarkets. Well, look, that's, that's what's going to happen next. There's a little target <laughs> for you. Good to be ambitious. Yeah. That was Owen Jones. And his cat. And his cat. I thought he was really interesting, actually. I love what he said about most homophobic abuses directed at straight men, because I think that is really true, and I think it's why homophobia is still a big problem when, really, we have progressed a lot as a society, and I think he was really honest. And if you have any thoughts or comments about what Owen was saying, we'd love to hear what you're saying, and we'd love to discuss what you're saying, because we want this to be a conversation. So the best thing to do is to tweet us at Will Young using the hashtag homosapiens. And a few more responses that have come in on who people would like to interview. Mm, some good ones. Prince Harry. Failing that Kylie. Mm. Can we tell your Kylie story? Which one? The one where you blew her a kiss. <laughs> oh my God, that story! <laughs> you don't have to. Do you want me to? I want you to because it's one of my favourite stories of my life. I can't remember it now. So she was on stage and you were at her gig Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, <laughs> I'd gone to see her and she had had cancer and then she'd got better. And so it was like two years later or something, she came back with the tool that she mm. had to stop. She had cancer. And she said, and Will Young's in the audience, I stood up and I blew her a kiss as if to say, like, we're really good friends and we're close friends. 
Yeah. Whereas actually, and then it, afterwards I said to my friend, oh my God, wasn't it amazing? Wasn't it amazing when she asked me to stand up and wave and blow her a kiss? And, and he was like, she never asked you to stand up. Is that right? Is that it? I thought it was that she waved at you in the You thought she was waving at you in the audience, but she was just waving randomly and you stood up and blew her a kiss. No, that was Christine Aguilera. <laughs> No. Yeah. So what happened? No, no, kindly was that I thought that she had asked me to stand up. I was that person that when he sees himself on the big screen starts waving. Mm. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but yeah. they're never waving directly at the camera because they're looking at the screen, yes. waving at the screen. Yeah. And then I blew her a kiss as if to say we're really good friends and I came up here to support you. Yeah. Whereas I didn't. I had to buy my ticket like everyone else. <laughs> and then I said to my friend... Oh, no. And I was hoping that she was going to ask me to jump up on stage and sing a duet with her. Oh. So I was running through. You were doing your lyrics, vocal warm up. The, the lyrics of all of her songs. Milsey, Milsey, hold my bag. In my imagination, she is. And, uh, and then I said to my friend, wasn't it amazing when she asked me to stand up? And he said, she never asked you to stand up. Oh. Yeah. But my second story is that there's a photo I went to see her sing her B-sides in Hammersmith Apollo. And then there's a photo of me and her afterwards. And I have spilt my pint down my shirt. (laughs) But obviously I didn't realise that at the time. Giddy. She's looking a bit like, get him away from me. Didn't she buy your friends a tractor? She bought them a vintage tractor because they're living in the countryside when they wrote a song that was a big hit for her. And that's really nice. That's so nice. Yeah, I bought them a chicken <laughs> <laughs> from Tesco's, all wrapped in plastic. <laughs> so this has been the first episode of Homo Sapiens. We really like to say thank you for listening. If you did like it, even if you didn't, please subscribe, and then we'll deliver each new episode straight to your device. And please leave us a review if you could, because. The reviews really help. And if you can't think of anything to write, just put five stars. Best podcast ever. Chris is very funny. (laughs) I'm Chris Sweeney. And I'm Will Young. Thank you so much for listening to all of our listeners. Bong, bong, bong. Homo (laughs) sapiens. Oh, I love it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Powered by Spirit Studios.